Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, January 16th, and we just wrapped up round two. And I actually didn't go to this race. Probably the only round I miss all year. Uh, had a uh, ski trip in Idaho planned, and yeah, just uh, stayed home. So that was kind of weird. It's definitely strange to you know, not be there all day watching practice and, you know, the racing at night and then dealing with the travel and all that. Um, interesting perspective, watching it on TV, you miss a lot. Uh, you don't get to see battles throughout the pack and you don't get a, a real solid overall picture of the race. You know, you see really what they want you to see as far as the, you know, the broadcast is showing you. So different, but uh, I'll be looking forward to getting back to to San Diego next Saturday. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like I belong at the races. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires. Check out that, uh, that range of MX32 Midsoft Mini Tires. Came out last summer. It's a really popular tire now available for mini bikes. Plum Creek Funding. We saw the highest interest rate for mortgages since March of 2020 this past week. You know what that means? That means you need to act. You need to buy or refi now because rates are only going higher from here. I think it was like 3.3 something. Doesn't sound like a lot. Maybe 3.4, but we're going to go higher from here. So act. Guts Racing, check out all the great things they do. They sponsor the Rockstar Husky team. They have that RJ wide wing seat for a little better grip. Uh, they can custom build you anything you want. So check out GutsRacing.com. Fast Foundry, great company. Get your business more efficient. If you need help, any sort of, uh, you know, back-end stuff, IT stuff, um, they have great ideas and uh, are there to help. They can certainly answer any questions. Works Connection, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, Fly Racing. We'll have the Pro Glow question of the week. This week I have that lined up too, and we'll be doing that week in and week out, so get your questions in. But let's go ahead and jump into this. 250 class, I always kind of start with first and kind of get it out of the way. Um, you know, it's not the premier class. And, and honestly, when Colt Nichols went out of the class early, I feel like a little bit of the suspense got sucked out of the series because, well, and, and add Jet Lawrence to that. I don't know how I could gloss over that. But to me, this was going to be a three-way battle for the series going in that that's just how I had this thing playing out. I had Jed as the favorite. I thought he was really going to turn a corner for this West coast. And I still think he will for the East coast, right? In, in a few short weeks, less than a month or around a month, we will see the East coast guys kick off. And I think that will be the Jet Lawrence show, you know, we'll see, right? 
But when those guys left, this just this fell into Christian Craig's hands. And he is making the most of it. He's won both rounds so far. And, you know, he didn't really necessarily dominate last night in Oakland. But he did win by six, seven seconds. But you never know how hard he was pushing, right? Is he, is he managing the race? Was he, you know, making sure that he didn't do anything stupid, make a, a foolish mistake that we see so often in this 250 class? I would probably say yes. I, I think if he really needed a push, he had more in the tank. But this is what you're supposed to do. When you're the best guy, you get out front, you manage your effort, you stay within a range where it's very unlikely that you're going to crash, and then you just manage the race from there, right? If you need to pick up the pace, if Hunter Lawrence or Shimoda or somebody's catching you, fine. But if you don't, you don't need to win by 30 seconds. Like I see, I've seen that trap, you know, so many people fall into that trap over the years where ego gets the best of them, they push too hard, they're riding right at the edge of their limit, and it bites them. And it was nice to see, in my estimation, Christian Craig kind of doing that. Again, I have him as the overwhelming favorite to win this series. And I'm sure Hunter Lawrence doesn't want to hear that. You can see how bummed he is about not winning. But I think Christian's the best guy. So if you're going to be bummed about not winning when you're... I'm sure he's never going to admit he's not the best guy. But I don't think he's better than Christian Craig at Supercross. So to me... He's kind of in his natural position, second, third, somewhere in there, right? Most men will have a good night. Shimoda might get in there. But to me, it's Craig and then everybody else. Shimoda, I mean, him and Mosman kind of the same, just mistake after mistake after mistake. That's just been the story of their series so far. And Shimoda, I think it's a little bit out of character. I've been surprised to see how many mistakes he's made. He's usually not the fastest one in the class, but usually mistake-free, stays out of trouble, gets the results in, and I think that's why a lot of people had him penciled in to be a, a I don't know, if, I don't say favorite, right, Carmichael mentioned favorite last night, I, I'm not there, but a contender for sure, because he had been so rock solid in the past, and he he's lost all that, right, it's just, it's all, it's almost the opposite this year, and I think he's trying too hard, I really point to that. I think he has gotten caught up in the fact that he could win a title this year. Everyone pointing to him to be his year. I think he put in a ton of work. I think he's prepared. I just think he's trying way too hard and that is biting him. That is costing him, you know, finishes and results because he's way over his limit. And I don't think he really needs to be. He's just got to calm down and let the races come to him. So we'll see if he does or not. You know, it can go one of two ways here. The poor results could even up the ante further where he's like, man, I got to make up for all these mistakes and bad results. I got to try even harder. Or he could just chill, understand what he's doing wrong and allow his skill set and the preparation and the great equipment he's on and all those things to take over and find himself on the podium starting back at San Diego. So we'll see. I think it could go two completely different directions from here. Seth Hamaker is almost, you know, he's the inverse of what's happened. Not a lot of hype, not a lot of expectation from the outside, but he's making good on it. He's riding well, he's getting good starts, he's making decisive passes. You know, okay, Hunter Lawrence got him at the end, so what, right? They flip-flop positions from A1, but I think if you asked around and you asked him after two rounds, would you take a 2-3? 
I think he and everyone associated with him would be like, hell yeah, I would take that. I'm good with that. No problem. Yeah, that's great. Look at the class. It's pretty tough. There's a lot of guys that are very similar. So to be second and third after two rounds, I think is a, a great start and nothing, nothing to shake your head at. So uh, I like Seth Hamaker. I think he's a really nice kid. Um, he, you know, he used to wear fly racing for a long time and I'm happy to see him doing well. So good for him. Michael Moseman, I, I touched on him briefly with the Shimoda talk, but to me, their series have been identical. It, it's dude, get out of your own way, right? You're riding incredibly well. Your lap times are good. Your heat races are good. You're plenty fast. You have everything there to succeed, except for you are the one screwing up. You are the one that is the problem. So I'm sure they understand. I'm sure they get it and they know that their mistakes are the missing factor here, right? They need to to stop screwing it up because everything else is lined up for success. It just doesn't seem like it's as easy as that sounds, right? And and if you look at Moseman's career, it's been a lot of this. You know, mistakes have been the norm versus solid results. So I don't think he's really doing anything different than he's always done, right? He's super fast. He's super capable, talented. Excuse me. That equipment's really good, but he's got to stop crashing. He's got to stop making stupid mistakes because when you're dealing with guys like Christian Craig, who are, has been flawless so far, he's not going to leave you any room for air, right? He's sucking the air out of the series with, I don't want to say perfection, but damn close. You're not going to have a chance, right? He's already a ton of points down after two rounds and he's dug himself a hole. So I want to say that this is some sort of outlier and he's going to fix it, but I don't know, man, this has kind of been what I've grown accustomed to when watching Moseman is super fast, but tons of mistakes. Last guy in the 250 class, Vince Freezy. I mean, he's just making more friends out there, right? He, he knocks March Banks off the track. You see him, he makes contact with everybody. And this is nothing new. If, if you've listened to my podcast or me talk over the years, you know how critical of his riding I've been. I hate it. I hate the way he races. I hate the way he approaches other riders and passing and all that. He used to do it to me all the time. We used to get into it big time, all the time. I couldn't stand it then. I can't stand it now. He's a great rider. It has nothing to do with that. He's one of, you know, I always mention he's one of the best starters I've ever seen, right? He, he gets out front again last night. He, well, he makes contact with Christian Craig in the first corner. Shocker, right? Nice, nice job hitting people in the first corner. Yeah, that, that usually turns out well. And then it's, he's just a ping pong ball through the pack on his way backwards and, you know, Jason Wygant and uh, Steve Mathis and I took a bunch of heat from his team for not having him as a title contender. I still don't. I don't think he's one of the best three guys in the series. I think Shimoda's better than him. I think Moseman's better than him. I think, I think Marchbanks is better than him. Doesn't mean he can't beat them. But if you're going to yell at me and tell me I'm une- un- uneducated in the series, and I, and I don't want to overstate yelling, but saying some pretty strong statements, saying I'm uneducated about these riders and blah, blah, blah. Get out of here with that. Listen, I've been watching Vince Freezy ride since his first race as a pro. Every single time, I feel like I know him, his strengths and weaknesses pretty well. He's getting, you know, five, six, seven in the class. That's about where he belongs, I believe. You know, if he started worse, maybe he gets eighth. But I don't think unless there's a lot of crashing and noise in front of him, I don't see him getting 
second, third, or fourth. I just don't think he's fast enough for that. I think the other guys are better than him, and there's nothing wrong with that unless you are you know, blinded by being a team owner for him or a sponsor of his or a family member of his. Like That's all well and good. Good for you. I just don't agree. So if you think that Vince Freeze is going to change his ways 10 years into his career or more, you know, 12 years into his career, that's just not going to happen. He is who he is. This is what he does. You know, March Banks, there's a, a picture I saw this morning on social media of March Banks overhead his truck, probably asking him WTF, like, what are you doing? Listen, he doesn't care. He doesn't care how you feel about his passes. He doesn't care how you feel about his racing or his approach. That's what he's going to continue to do. And if March Banks opens the door again, he's going to blast him out of the way again. That's just what he does. So anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent on Freezy. But if you're expecting any different from him, you're going to be disappointed. That's just what he does. Let's move into 450 class. You know, we do the power rankings here. And I struggled this week with the power rankings because if you look at the results, man, how do you piece this together? You know, Webb didn't have a good night. Roxon had a horrible night. Some of the guys I had at the top last week should all be moved down. But then I have to consider big picture too. I can't be victim of the moment and let one race completely flip my power rankings upside down. I, I won't do that. Now, I did make I did make significant adjustments within that, but it's going to take me more time to move the guys that I feel are the best overall riders and who I believe will end up at the front at the end of the series. I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from that based off of one night. So just keep that in mind as we roll through these. If you, if you disagree with them, great, no problem. It's all opinion, but I'm trying to keep a, a more of a big picture view of this and not get carried away by what I saw in Oakland. So at number 10, I have Marvin. He didn't have such a good night, and I really tried to deep, you know, dig down a little bit and look at the lap times. And his last eight laps or so were pretty rough. Uh, he lost a ton of time to Webb and Ferrandis and guys in front of him. They just pulled away, and it wasn't one bad lap. It wasn't a crash. It wasn't anything. They just pulled away. He dropped down to the 104s. Webb held his 101 and just checked out on him. And Webb didn't even have a good night. Like It's not like Webb was riding well. He was just able to pull away. So that wasn't very impressive from Marv. And I moved him back accordingly, even after a fourth at the first round. I just didn't like what I saw. And I have to pay attention to the guys in front of him and the dynamic that's that's kind of playing out. So while a fourth and an eighth may not make sense to have him at 10th, I think if you look at the guys in front of him, I think it kind of does. So I have him at 10. He could get back in the, you know, five, six, seven with a great results at San Diego. It's a really fluid backside of the top five for me right now. Excuse me. I'm still congested from, uh, from last weekend. I did test negative though, for all of you who have messaged me and said, I, you know, whatever, uh, I probably have COVID. I, I tested negative on Thursday, so I don't have it. Um, but I am still, still having some, some symptoms going on. Uh, number nine, I have Ferrandis at nine, and he rode much better, right? You know, so I'm very torn on my Dylan Ferrandis analysis here. I almost said analyzation. I don't think that's a word. Analysis for Ferrandis. I believe he can podium. I really think he can be a podium guy 
in this class. But if he doesn't start up there, it's not going to happen. You look at the guys around him. You look at the guys in front of him. Guys like Barsha and look at how good Anderson was. They're not going to just let you blow by them. Even though he was able to pass Webb and, and really kind of pull away from Webb, which is crazy impressive, riding that well, if you start 15th, you're not going to get to the podium. You just can't do it. You know, there have only been a few guys in the history of the sport who have been able to do that. And, and as good as Ferrandis is riding, I don't think he's there. You know, look at how many seconds he was down on the top three as good as he was riding, you see how challenging that's going to be to ever do that. So kind of the common theme with the Yamaha right now is the starts not working out. And I don't know enough, you know, about their settings or how they feel about it as a team or as riders, but the proof is there. If you just look at, you know, just as a a top line, the starts are bad. You know, it doesn't even matter why it's kind of irrelevant. In the end, all that's happening or all that matters is those two, Ferrandis, you know, as we're talking about right now, is getting a bad start, and then even a great ride only netted him a sixth. So I'm trying to be as positive as I can towards Ferrandis because he looks great. He was fast all day. Sixth is much better than last week, but it's kind of what could have been if he could figure out the start. And I don't, I don't know that he's going to. He hasn't ever really done it in this class in Supercross, so I don't have any specific reason to point to of why he's going to magically figure out the starts consistently. Doesn't mean he can't pull a good start randomly. Things happen. I pulled hole shots in outdoor national motos, right? And I typically got bad starts, but I even I got hole shots in motos. So it can happen. The trouble is consistently. That's where if you want to be in a championship fight in Supercross, you have to consistently get good starts, and I don't see that happening. At eight, I have Mookie, and I struggle with this one because I think he should be higher. But as you move higher, I'll give you reasons why I still have Mookie at eight. Because he got fifth last night. Good result, solid, good ride from him. Was able to hold off Ferrandis at the end. But, man, he, he doesn't have the, that breakout result yet. So I have him at 8. He's significantly better than he was last year. He's doing all the right things. And I think if he pulls a whole shot, he's going to give us a crazy amount of excitement. Right? Everybody's going to just buckle up if he gets a whole shot because I think he's, a, he's able to go with the top guys. I think he can go at the front and match speed with anybody. But I don't know that if he starts 10th or 8th, that he can get up there, right? Like a Tomac can, a Webb can. I don't know that he can move forward with the precision and the uh, just the force that those guys have, right? They're so experienced. They're, they are so far along in their 450 career. I don't ever put, I don't ever uh, kind of block that out as far as a chance. I'm trying to, I'm struggling for the right word here, but I don't ever cross that out as a possibility, right? If Webb starts seventh, I think he can still win. If Tomac starts seventh, I think he can still win. I don't think that's in the cards for Mookie yet. I just haven't seen him with that ability to move through the field decisively and get to the front and win. So I could be wrong. Maybe he does that this season, and I will be the first to admit I'm wrong. I just don't think he's quite there yet. And, and realistically, he shouldn't be 
he shouldn't be considered with those guys. You're talking about Webb, a two-time champion, Tomac, a champion. Tomac's got, you know, tons and tons of wins. Webb, the same. Mookie really shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath of those guys yet anyway. Seven and a half Plessinger. And holy crap, what a turnaround ride from AP. And he looked way off his game at A1. Gets a ninth out of, you know, somehow, because he looked awful all day. This was not that. He looked great in the race. Got the start, which helped a ton, but he was super solid, right? He pulled away from Barsha. I actually thought he might go give Anderson all he wanted. Just couldn't do it, right? They, they were kind of the same. Um, I'm sure they were both trying. Anderson was trying to pull away. AP was trying to hold it, but they were almost identical in lap times. And that's the kind of ride AP needed, right? For his confidence to, to get back to that level of kind of mid last season, like the Atlanta rounds of last season where he felt like he was going to break out and get a win. He's right back there. And for all the doubts that everybody had from him during the day and throughout the night at Anaheim, those are kind of gone now. We all were like, okay, there he is again. He's going to be good. And I think you'll see him be propelled in his confidence level off of that Oakland ride. And I think you'll see him be a week in and week out top five guy. I really do. Um, I like the way he's riding. The starts could be important for sure. Uh, but he just looks like he's kind of coming into the prime of his career right now. So really good ride from him. Uh, I could move him pretty quickly into my top five power rankings. If he keeps kind of that, you know, those kind of rides up Sexton, I have at six. And it's mostly because, I will tell you right now, it's coming for Sexton. I think he got derailed a little bit with that crash with Roxon in practice. But then you watch that heat race, and he is just so impressive on the motorcycle. The things he can do, the way he, like his technique, and just visually, he doesn't leave a lot to be desired, man. He does, he does it the right way. I've mentioned on this show and others that I still think just maturity wise in his racecraft, I think there's still some, there's room for improvement, right? He's not there yet. He's going to get there. He it's coming, man. And that's my theme for Sexton is this is going to happen for Sexton. I am really high on his chances of where he can be. It may not be this year. I, I you know, in our preview shows and my preview podcast, I, was very adamant about the fact that I don't know that this is the year, but that year is absolutely coming and it could be 23, it could be 24, but I think he's going to be winning lots and lots of races and going to be a, a serious contender for the championship. That's just, I, I can see it unfolding. I can see it happening in his riding. And when it clicks mentally, that's the last step. When it clicks and he understands that he doesn't have to take big chances and he can let the race come to him. He just needs to put himself in good position and everything else will happen. You're going to see a lot of people have big problems with Chase Sexton. At five, I have Jason Anderson. And what else can you say, man? That, that's how you get it done. You start near the front. You get to the front on the first lap. And you control it, right? And he looks like Jason Anderson from 2018. And I'm kind of patting myself on the back. And I don't like doing that. I hate that. But I've been high on his chances going into the season for a lot of reasons. I like the way he's approached it. I feel like he believes this is an opportunity to rekindle his career. I think he has fully understood 
the opportunity in front of him, and he's he's ma- he's making the most of it. Um, I, I think this was. I don't want to say a wake-up call because he could he could have retired last year and walked away, and I think financially he'd have been just fine. But I think if he wants to realize his full potential and get back to the Jason Anderson that we saw in 2018, or I don't want to say be relevant again because that sounds so harsh, but it kind of is. If you want to be relevant as you know for people to consider you as a race-winning guy, one of the top-tier, top echelon of the sport – this was your chance, right? Monster Energy Kawasaki gave you this chance, and good for him. He's doing everything he can to make the most of it. You know, he, he I think, made a foolish mistake of getting into it with Barsha at A1. So he's got a 10 and a 1 on the points sheet right now. But if you dig a little deeper, it should be much better than that. I personally believe it should be like a 3-1 right now, and he would have the red plate. On You know, that's what it should be. It's not. Because that's what racing is, right? You have to you have to execute and you have to stay out of trouble. But his riding wise, uh, I think, is much better than it looks like uh, on paper. And he's still right there. He's only a few points out of the championship lead, so it's not like it's some catastrophe. But it could be better. He could be a red plate holder going into uh, to round three. Tomac, much better day. Crazy fast in practice, but again. Just like we talked about with Ferrandis, it's the start. You can't start 12th and get to the front. This isn't a few years ago where you have this gigantic speed edge over everybody. He doesn't. He, he could be a little better than everybody, but it's not much. And if you're, if you're going to have a tiny advantage, you better start near the front if you're going to exercise that tiny advantage. If you start 12th and you're a little better than everybody, guess what? You get stuck behind guys. You can't make passes. You know, you fall into their pace and then you look up and you're fourth at the end of the race because you wore people down and you got to the front, but you are not enough better to blow past everybody anymore. Those days, 2017, 18, 19, even 2020, right? When he finally wins a title where he could just move to the front. That's not the situation, whether those guys have around him have gotten better or he, I don't think he's taken a step back. I just, I just don't think he quite has that edge. And I, I don't want to pretend to be able to narrow it down as to why I kind of lean towards guys like Webb and those guys have gotten a little better, but the difference is clear. He's not able to just run away, you know, go back to 2017, even though he didn't win the title when he got on a roll, he would just annihilate everybody. It wasn't even fair how much better he was than everybody when he got going. He's not that same guy as as far as comparing him to the rest of the class. So he's going to need to sort out the start. He's going to need to put himself in a better position if he wants to win this title. Now, having said all that, I have him as my second place in points guy at the end of the year because I just think over time, consistency-wise, he's just going to be there week in and week out, and I think he ends up second in this series. He's going to win races. But the starts are going to be his downfall. Justin Barsha, I have at number three. He's gone 3-3 three, three so far. That's good enough for the points lead. And we should have known that he was be, he would be great in the beginning of the series. We, we've kind of made mention of it, you know, over the past few weeks. We expected him to be strong. Now, if you told me that a 3-3 three, three at the first two rounds would be good enough for the red plate, I would have probably argued that. I, I just... I thought maybe Webb would be that guy with a 3-3. I thought Roxon would 
not have a 13th, that's probably the biggest factor, right? Is that 13th was, was the result of a crash. And you could even argue the crash in practice was the catalyst for the crash later. I just think it kind of got him off, off his game a bit. Um, I'm sure he was sore. You don't have a huge crash like that and, and not leave a little bit of a residual effect throughout the night. I'll even ask this. When was the last time you saw Ken Rockson crash in the whoops once, let alone twice in one day? Something was going on there. I don't know if it was settings, had a bad day. Something was up. That That is very out of character for Ken Rockson to have two big crashes in one day, especially in the whoops. Like he is so damn good in the whoops. So maybe he'll be a little forthcoming. Maybe he'll give us some insight to that, but there was something going on. Maybe he tried a different setting this week and it just didn't work. Um, but something was up there. I think he'll bounce back. I, I expect him back on the podium at San Diego. Um, but just a rough day. A 13th is not, not how you would draw it up for Kenny. Number one, I have Cooper Webb. Not a great day. Not a great night. Just kind of blah. And, you know, he had some of these last year. He still was your champion. I don't see any reason to move off of him as my number one guy. You look at he was a champion last year. He gets a second place at the first round. I have him as my, uh, you know, my title favorite. So I'm not going to be pushed off of him after one so-so night. He gets a seventh. So what? Right? He's only, I think, three points out of the championship. I still have, I, I think it's still fine. Like, I don't think there's any reason, let alone panic, even to worry. Um, it just wasn't his night. He didn't get a, a fantastic start. His pace wasn't that great. I think he suffered in the whoops, which is a, a recurring theme with him. It wasn't atrocious, but I think he was just getting swallowed up a bit by some of these guys. And I think he'll go back, you know, he'll, he'll take a deep breath, go back to work, work on his starts, make sure he puts himself in better position. And the tracks are going to, as we, we go into the series, the tracks are going to come around for him. We know that, right? Guys are going to start jumping through the whoops more. Tracks will break down. His starts will start to, to shine over time, like that consistency. And I think the cream will rise to the top. So I'm keeping him at number one. I can understand if you want to argue it and say you feel differently, but your reigning champion, three points out of the title, tied for second in the series. Yep, that's good enough for me. No problem. I do want to mention a couple other guys. I like to add in these honorable mentions. And I have Adam Cincerillo, who's still fighting this shoulder injury, but you can see it coming around. You see the pace at the beginning of the race, how fast he was, how good he looked. That's going to show up later in the series as his shoulder continues to heal. It gets stronger. And what you saw is fatigue. It's not him winded. It's shoulder fatigue. And you know, I mentioned before, I had the same injury. I know how it feels. Your arm just has no strength after a few laps because it's, you're wounded, right? It's, it's suffered a traumatic injury. It, it wipes that strength right out of it. And you're compensating. You're, you know, he's overcompensating with his other shoulder. He's probably holding on more with his legs, trying to take the burden off of his shoulder. And that wears out the rest of your body. So it's this weird kind of snowball effect where you have one really weak area that gets tired, but then you're overcompensating for that with the rest of your body 
which in turn wears all those things out too. Your legs are more tired than, than normal. Your other shoulder gets tired because you're kind of leaning that way. Uh, and it's just this really strange kind of, uh, you know, one, one shoulder injury catalyzes all these other things to be more tired than they normally would. Now, in a short span of time, the next couple weeks, those things are going to even out. His shoulder's going to get better. It's going to get stronger. The, you know, he'll get to ride more during the week. He'll get to get back on a little bit more of his normal exercise routine, and you'll see that start to normalize. And you're already seeing like how much better he was early. Like he was fast at the beginning of that race because for a few laps, he probably felt at full strength before the fatigue set in, before the weakness set in. So he's going to get more and more and more laps as we go on, right? He's, he's probably sore as hell today, but that will slowly, well, I don't want to say slowly, it's going to get better quickly. Just dealing from my own personal experience and you think about medicines 20 years, you know, that was 20 years ago. Medicine's a lot better now. He probably has much better, uh, you know, doctors around and therapists around than I had because of the resources he has at his disposal. So I'm, I'm big on his chances of, of a quick improvement. You know, it, the result wasn't good. Obviously he's, he's better than what he showed on paper, but I, I still think you're going to see him just break out and land on the podium soon, right? I don't know if it's San Diego. I don't know if it's A2. Uh, it could not, might not even be Glendale, but it's coming. It is coming. You can just see it. You can see his confidence building. The other guy I have, I had him on this list last week for an honorable mention is Joey Savacci. He's gone 8-11, not flashy. Results don't jump off the page, but he's 10th in the points. He's really flown under the radar. No one's talking about him, but I think he deserves some credit to be top 10 in this class, uh, that, that's saying something. Like you look at the, the list of riders, this class is stacked. So for him to be 10th in points, I, th- I think uh, deserves some credit. So a little bit shorter this week. Um, you know, I didn't get to go to the race as I mentioned, or I, I guess I could have. I decided to not go to the race this week. So I didn't have all of the, all the sidebars and this really well-rounded perspective of the day because I didn't get to see as much. So looking forward to getting back to that. I, I want to thank everybody for listening to this. Oh yeah. Wanted to touch on Jared Steinke going off on myself and Mathis and Kiefer. I don't even know why. Maybe I said something about him riding a 125 or something. I, I don't know, man. Listen, you want to ride a 125 and take a knife to a gunfight? So be it. I don't care. I don't care what Jared Steinke does. I could care less. I don't even have a sister. I, I don't know why he's calling me out. Uh, maybe Steve was going on. I don't know. Man. Whatever. You need to go nuts on social about you getting next to last in the one, in the 250 class on a 125. Great. Ha- have a ball, man. Whatever. I don't care. You know, I, I call it like I see it. I think it's, I don't think there's any reason to be on a 125 out there unless you just want to. If you want to go on a 125 and race the rest of your life in the 120, on a 125 in the 250 class, Knock yourself out, dude. Have a great time. I don't know why you're so angry. That's okay. I, I would I would have always thought that the extracurricular activities that you are very fond of would take some of that aggression out. That's what I've always heard is that's it kind of mellows you out, but apparently not. Apparently it gets you really angry uh, over nothing. So it'll be interesting. I think Steve is probably going to go off on this. Because Stank Dog has been so aggressive about this, 
I, I'm, I'm here for it. That's fine. I'll watch and be entertained. I just don't know why he's so damn angry, but to each their own, I guess. Uh, again, thank you to all the sponsors. I need to do the uh, question of the week too. Almost forgot about that. But I want to thank Pirelli, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Fast Foundry. Oh, Works Connection. You know what they use? They use that Pro Launch Start device. You saw those hole shots last night, Christian Craig. They use Pro Launch Start device. Just saying. Uh, good starts typically happen with a Pro Launch Start device, so go check that out. Uh, Grandstone Boots, Pro Glow, and Fly Racing. So let's jump into the uh, Pro Glow question of the week. I filtered through a bunch of these to try to find one, and please continue to submit these because I'm saving all of them, and I will use them throughout the course of the season. Just because I didn't pick yours today, continue to send them in because I, I'm logging them all, all into a folder here so I can, uh, so I can reference them. Now, this comes from Justin Puckett, uh, who looks like he's a part of the Air Force, so thank you for your service as well. Uh, question is, Jason, you have often said people leave A1 feeling great or feeling terrible. For those who feel terrible, what are they looking for in the week between the first and second race to get more comfortable? The second part of that question is, how easy is it for the riders of teams to get lost in settings as they chase that setup? Now, I like this question because it's timely, and we just went from round one to round two, and there were a lot of guys that probably felt like they need to go back to the drawing board for the second round, and I think that's always a mistake. You know, these guys spend so much time working on their settings and their training and trying to dial every single thing in. If the bike doesn't feel good at A1 or you don't feel good at A1, don't freak out, right? Don't throw everything away that you've worked months to develop because you didn't feel good come Anaheim, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't make subtle changes, right? You, your technicians and your team and everybody is, is absorbing the information that you're giving back to them. And then you can go and try to improve on what you had. Now, that's, that's just smart racing. That's being methodical. But I have seen in the past... Guys go to A1, they hate their bike, and they just go radically different, right? They start changing suspension internals and linkages and clamps and the races inside the clamps and everything, right? And you just like, wow, like you're just going to forget that motorcycle you had and shift to a completely different setup? Like I don't think that's – I don't think that makes any sense because what if you show up at Oakland and that none of that's right? Then you don't know where to go. So I think you take – baby steps towards a better setup, right? If you, and, and I'll tell you why this, a lot of this happens. Guys will practice on a, a rock hard, you know, Southern California supercross track that doesn't have ruts. The whoops are really consistent every day when you practice and they find a setting that works really well. And then guess what? You go to Anaheim and you go to Oakland, the dirt's soft, it's ruddy, it's, you know, kind of when you land it's giving right so the the suspension's reacting differently the whoops are all cupped out and you're jumping through them and rhythms and you're having to wheelie through them and all these different things and the bike is giving you much different feedback and the setup that you loved is not reacting the same way because the dirt's totally different that's normal that happens all the time so what these guys in theory should be doing is just make small adjustments to offset those changes. You don't have to get crazy. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. 
just try to make the bike a little bit better than it was before. Uh, so that would be my answer to that. Um, you know, the guys freak out, they overreact. There's this, this knee jerk reaction from a bad night at Anaheim and leading into your, the second part of your question, it's really easy to get lost in settings. If you pull the panic button, right? If you get crazy on how much you change, you don't even know where to, like you go from a one, everything's great going in, you hate your bike. So you change everything all at once. You don't even know what made it better or worse, right? You can go backwards or you could get a lot better, but you don't know, right? If you changed the linkage, you changed the shim stack, you changed the clamp offset, like the races, you know, you change clickers, you change the sag, you change all these things, excuse me, to try to fix what you don't like. You don't know what made it better, right? So then you're just kind of like guessing. It was like, well, maybe that, but then, you know, I, I lowered the sag, but then I changed the races because I couldn't turn. You don't know what's better or worse. So you have to make very small, in my opinion, you need to make very small incremental changes one at a time. So you go out and you want to, you know, maybe you couldn't turn as well as you wanted to. So you change the races inside the clamps. Is that better or worse? It should be better. Okay. If it's better, was there a drawback? Yes. I could turn better, but it didn't handle quite as well. I lost some of my uh, comfort and my confidence in the whoops because I lowered the front end a little bit, right? I, I pulled the front end in or I changed the angle of the forks. Well, that, you know, if, if you move the, the angle in, that's going to shorten the wheelbase a little bit. It's, it typically makes it not as stable in the whoops. So what can you do to offset that? Once you find the turning, okay, now make incremental changes to the rear of the bike. Lower the sag, maybe soften the shock a little bit. You could, you could mess with the high speed, uh, soften the high speed a little bit. To, to make it handle a little better in the whoops, or you could maybe change linkage, but do them one at a time. That's the most critical aspect. And, and these factory teams, they know that, right? It's just, I've seen them get too crazy all at once because the rider is freaking out and they want dramatic changes. I saw Chad Reed do that a ton. He would just start making these sweeping changes to the motorcycle. And then you don't know what was better or worse. You don't know what the cause and effect was because you didn't systematically and methodically make those changes. So you could say, okay, I changed this. It did this to the bike. Now I want to take that improvement and try to change something else and see if, does it go back to where, does it make it worse? Okay, great. Now I know that this was an improvement, but when I tried to change something else, it offset that improvement. And now I need to try something else, right? So you have this step-by-step process. A uh, very long-winded answer to your question, but um, these early rounds, you see those knee-jerk reactions of too much change of what you know is probably a really good setup. Maybe you just need to tweak it a little bit. Just change small, you know, little small inputs to your setup, and you can get to a really good place pretty quickly. You see a guy like Plessinger, right? He was a totally different guy. He didn't mention that he completely changed his bike. He had a horrible day at Anaheim. He, I mean, a ninth isn't that bad, but his riding, the way he looked, wasn't good. But guess what? He didn't panic. He put a ton of time in at the practice track this week, and he turned it around. So I think guys can learn a lot from that, is you don't have to 
flip your whole program upside down on and off the bike. Just allow things to kind of happen, make small changes and make smart decisions and you can get back there. So thanks, Justin. Uh, I will reach out to you. You win that uh, Pro Glow uh, prize for this week and, and continue to get those, those uh, questions in. We'll do uh, some Pirelli stuff, fly racing stuff, and then of course, Pro Glow each week. So thanks again. I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you to, uh, of course, the sponsors of this podcast. Couldn't do it without them. And we will see you right after San Diego. See you guys.